Hello, and welcome to this Georgetown Public Policy Review episode. I am Brina Antonia Cortez, an interview editor and a class of 2023 Masters of Policy Management National Urban Fellow candidate. I'm so excited to have Councilmember Robert White, an at-large member of the DC Council on the show today. Councilmember White is a public administrator through and through who has served as a community association president of the Brightwood Community Association and is also the co-founder to even previously working on Capitol Hill. What I find most warming is that Councilmember White is also a fourth generation DC resident with a clear passion for the district and what it means to be a leader within it. As an out-of-state student, I find it extremely important to get to know the community I'm entering and not just use the area as a backdrop for my degree. I also get that tapping into a new community can be daunting. So I really appreciate Councilmember White offering amazing insight on how to engage with and learn from the DC community. Councilmember Robert White, thank you so much again for joining me today. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to have this conversation with you, to hear more not only about your experience as a public administrator, but also about building genuine community engagement and connection within the DC community. So to start things off, you've been on the DC Council since 2016. Before that, you were in the Legislative Council to Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and were the Director of Community Outreach for the DC Office of the Attorney General, Carl Ressi. How would you describe the ways to which your role as a policymaker has differed within these varying positions? That's a, a great question, Brina, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to, to chat with you. I really, as a, a young lawyer, cut my teeth on Capitol Hill working for Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton as her legislative counsel. Congresswoman Norton is DC's representative, our non-voting delegate in Congress. That's where I learned the ropes of legislation, turning ideas into policy action and creating bills that not only say the things that you want to say, but that in the execution of that legislation, accomplish the things that you hope to accomplish. And and I really learned the ropes, including the fact that so much that you can do from the legislative branch does not require legislation. You can do things through oversight. You can use your power to convene. You can use your bully pulpit, although it is always smaller than the chief executive, whether it's the president on the national landscape or the mayor here in the District of Columbia. When I left the Hill and worked for our first elected attorney general, Carl Racine, here in D.C., the attorney general's office in D.C., while independent, is an executive branch agency. So it gave me another lens to view the legislative branch. I was then viewing the legislative branch from the outside. I was in an agency trying to execute within the budget and rules set by the legislative branch. And I understood agency challenges, but better from that experience and brought both of those experiences and the leadership styles that I learned and adapted pieces of Congresswoman Norton's leadership style, pieces of former Attorney General Carl Racine's leadership style. So I I brought parts of that leadership style with me, but I brought a well-rounded understanding of the legislative process 
from another body and from uh, an out of DC legislative perspective. And, and those things combined have given me a really good understanding of what can be done, because what a lot of people will learn as they work in a legislative branch is no two legislative branches are the same. Each has its own culture for better or for worse. And so there are oversight things and legislative things that were not in the DC culture that I brought to the DC council. No doubt I've, I've learned some new skills and tricks since I've been on the council. Could you share a little bit about what it looked like to bring that previous knowledge and experience into your other roles? Can you share an example of when there was something that you wanted to change and if there was pushback, maybe how you navigated having this different perspective? It bringing a different uh, perspective on how a legislative branch can operate or a legislator can operate did come with some pain for me. For instance, on Capitol Hill, when there is an agency that is consistently underperforming and the agency head breaks the law, members of Congress are going to call for their resignation and they're not going to wait. We had a situation like that here in the district and I call for the resignation of an agency leader. Very appropriate in the circumstance, but it got a lot of attention because that's not something that tended to happen in the district. There was another issue that involved our mayor and a question of whether she skirted the law in an education matter. And I called for her to come before the council and testify. Seemed like a very fair request, but it was received with a number of gasps. Not that it was wrong to do or bad. It's just that because that type of thing didn't happen in the district very much, it caught a lot of attention. And so I didn't want to do it for attention. I, I did it for effectiveness. But the drawback was that because it's not the type of thing that happened here, it was received with a reaction that I didn't initially expect. Thank you for sharing that experience. Not an easy task to navigate how something comes across, especially in a new environment, with an unfamiliar tactic to some people. In your current position, people are competing for your time and to bring awareness to the many issues in D.C. What is your advice to newer policymakers to stay informed, connected, and engaged in community once you're in such a position? That is an incredible question. It's something that I am learning to get better at day by day. The advice I would give to new legislators is hire very competent people because you can't do the work by yourself. And you have to be able to trust the things that you need to do and the things you promise you do to other people. So take the time to hire the right people, put the right people on the bus. Also, stay in touch with the people that you represent and their issues. That will take a lot of time, but it will make you a better leader. And as you spend time in communities, talking to people, meeting with people, it will necessarily mean that you have to shift your role from a, a worker to a leader. And that's something that I struggle with. I'm a policy guy. I've been a staffer. And when I got elected and I was still operating as a staffer, which meant that there was a lot of duplication between what I was doing and what my staff was doing. There were also a lot of things that weren't getting done because I was spending so much time helping to draft bills and draft press releases that I wasn't in the community as much as I should have been or would have liked to be. It is important when you become an elected official to start to understand that your job is no longer as a staffer. You, you have to learn how to rely on people. You have to get better at giving direction and you are giving better direction as a leader 
if you're listening to the people that that you represent. The other piece of advice that I've learned the hard way over the years is that it is okay to not know and to be vulnerable as a leader. And if you become comfortable in that space, you will be phenomenally more productive because you will almost never be the smartest person in the room or in the constituency that you're representing. And there are a lot of people who are really smart, who want to give their knowledge. All you have to do is is invite them in and listen. And that's one of the most important things I've had to learn in the time that I've been on the DC Council. I really appreciate your comment around leadership vulnerability. As leaders, we can't know everything and we definitely should not be controlling everything. In this time of government skepticism and even cynicism, I think it's even more important to recognize the varying roles and impacts teams have as a collective. What she said about staying in touch with people and issues, could you expand a little bit more on what it looks like when you've transitioned between these different positions? Also, how have you kept up with those people that you knew from before? while gaining newer connections? This is a, a phenomenal question. But one piece of information I didn't share about me, my mom passed when I was young, uh, when I was eight. And so my dad raised me and my brother. And while my dad worked an hourly wage job, which means he didn't get paid if he wasn't at work, he encouraged me to participate in programs, activities, and sports. 99 out of 100 times, he was going to be there in the audience, in the stand. It always impacted me as I grew up that my dad showed up. And the first philosophy I bring to my work is just show up. And when you show up, people know that you care and then they build on that relationship. But there's no foundation for a relationship if people uh, don't know that you care, don't, don't trust that you will show up. Now, as you show up and take on issues and start making progress on issues, then others will come along. There'll be hype. There'll be sort of, you know, bigger, badder people who want to be your friend. And you have to be careful to not believe the hype. The higher you go in your career, the more funny your jokes are, the more you know, wise your ideas are. As soon as you start believing that, you start slipping. One, don't believe the hype. But two, stay surrounded by the people who are going to be honest with you, people who are going to give you feedback, because that's going to help you do better. But also don't lose touch. There's one woman who got my cell phone number when I ran for office, and she asked me, is your number going to change when you get elected? And I said, my number is not going to change. Not long after I got elected, she texted me just to see if my number changed. And I said to her, I, Robin, I told you my number wasn't going to change. It's still the same and I'm still here. And people want to know that you don't change you go into your career. And I think that's where most elected officials go off course is that they change. They change their circle. They don't get that good, honest feedback and they lose touch with the people that they're supposed to represent. Love that example of the phone number changing. I still have my 714 from when I was in Southern California. And that's always been something that I don't know, just feels like no matter where I go, like here with me. But yeah, a lot um, of people with their cell phones, they don't change their numbers anymore, even if they live somewhere for a decade or more. And it's just that sort of calling card to where it grew up. Exactly. Yeah, it's very sentimental. And thank you for sharing about your parents. I love that motto about impact of showing up for people and the importance of consistency. My next question is about data sources. What are data sources that your team connects to? And how does your team and community efforts work to increase data equity and data collection to best represent community demographics and need? We are a very data-driven office because, again, the, the work that we do we want to make sure it, it has the impact that, that we intend. So we are always looking at data to understand 
what we might be able to predict in terms of outcomes, but also what we might be missing in terms of underlying issues. One example is that uh, public education in the district, you will hear narrative, and the narrative is, is true to an extent, that we are the fastest growing urban school district in terms of improvement in test scores. Well, that is true. But then I dig into the data and I realize that our public school population has expanded over the years with more affluent uh, white students, which is a great thing, except that it skews the numbers. And so when you dig into the data, you find out that black students and brown students are doing virtually no better now than they were a decade ago, despite significant investments and despite a narrative that everything is great. And so it is important to, to dig into the data and what I have pushed for and in uh, some instances demanded, sometimes successfully and sometimes not, is more disaggregated data to hit at that data equity issue. You can tell any story you want with the right data, but it doesn't mean the story is, is accurate. And, and sometimes folks skew stories with data deliberately, sometimes not knowing. Many people will read a headline about scores in the district and say, let's not do anything different. And that's not a deliberate choice to say, let's take a, an approach that is inequitable. But we have to continue to ask the, the next question, who is this data talking about? Who is included in this data? Who was not included in this data? And that's important. And in collecting data, it requires those collecting it, uh, researchers or policymakers, to understand who doesn't generally respond and then to understand why they don't respond to see if there's a way to uh, to get more accurate and uh, therefore more equitable data. Absolutely. And I grew up around a lot of data skepticism in my family. We often felt that we were not represented in the data. In this age of technology and news overdrive, staying informed about the right things is very crucial. There are opportunities with desegregated data and deeper attention to what data is being used when we see headlines about an exciting new thing. If it's okay, could you recommend any local DC news platforms? I hesitate to answer this because I'm going to leave out some some good ones, but uh, a couple that I think do a, a phenomenal job in, in different ways are DCist. This is a, an online publication that covers a lot of real news, and they go in depth in these stories and do a good job of getting perspectives that don't often get covered by the Washington Post. Um, there are Local news outlets, one that, that I look at frequently is, is Petworth News. It's it focused more on a particular geographic region of the district. But, but if, you, if you pick up the Afro or the Inquirer, uh, which are Black-led news publications in the district, you will get a lot of news that you won't find other places. But the people, places, and stories they cover are ones that are generally overlooked, but just as valuable. And so when you try to deliberately look at and listen to diverse news sources, you get a more holistic understanding of what's happening in the district. I should mention two others that I actually do read frequently. One is BizNow, which is online, and the other is the Washington Business Journal. The business community is, is part of our community. People's lives are impacted by the economy. And so these are things that are a little drier generally, but also important. You know, not everything that is important is, you know, sexy for news. And so they, they cover the things that are important, but maybe don't get a lot of coverage uh, in major news outlets. Excellent. 
I think that's a great segue into getting to know more about the community. As a graduate student coming into DC, being very new, since DC has a handful of major universities, there are opportunities for community projects and policy reviews, but how might you recommend students to get more involved and learn more about the area? The most important thing I recommend, particularly to, to students or anyone else who moves into a new place, Spend time listening uh, before you start opining. These days, there's no shortage of uh, people who believe they have all the answers and know better than, than anyone. But taking time to understand perspectives is really important. In the district, what, what I think a lot of people will find is when you move into a neighborhood that has a deep history, be it a historically African-American, historically Latino, historically Asian, historically white neighborhood, there are customs and practices and thoughts and beliefs that come from generations of experiences in those neighborhoods. And generally, folks have no issue with new people moving into their neighborhood the issues come when people who have lived there feel disrespected or feel like people move into a neighborhood and believe that this is somehow sort of new discovered land or blank slate. There are no, no undiscovered neighborhoods in, in the District of Columbia. That's probably true of uh, just about everywhere else. You spend a little bit of time talking to people who have been there for a long time. You will learn a ton, but you will get a lot of love and respect in return. And in that way, you'll learn how you can be most helpful because we we all bring not just different experiences but different skill sets. For instance, I was at a community meeting in Southeast DC last night and listening to people's thoughts and concerns, I was asking myself, what can I say to this group that would be helpful? And what I thought could be helpful was not at all to tell them what they should do, but to give them a perspective on how they could accomplish what they plan to do through the government. I have experience in making government work. And so they didn't need to hear my ideas about how to solve their problems. All they needed to hear from me was how to take their plan and get the government to implement it. And so if we spend time listening and then say, all right, what do I have that I can contribute to this? I think you'll find yourself understanding the city well and also being an instrumental part of progress. And would you have anything for folks who have been local, maybe growing up in the area, and are just looking to get more involved into local advocacy efforts, just in case there's anything else you want to add. There is uh, something else that's important. There, there are a lot of advocacy groups in the district, and many of them do a, a phenomenal job. One underutilized space that always needs help are neighborhood organizations like the Advisory Neighborhood Commissions and local civic and community associations. There's no shortage of people with thoughts and opinions. There is a shortage of people willing to do the work, particularly you know the grunt work or time-consuming work. And as a former community association president myself, I know that I was always praying somebody was going to show up to a meeting and say, how can I help? What can I do? And almost every neighborhood needs people to, to take on work. It's fun. It's meaningful. It's everything from advocating for stop signs and speed bumps to community cleanups to efforts to pull communities together to efforts to get more funding for your neighborhood school. But there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, if you just show up and say, hey, how, how can I be helpful at your advisory neighborhood association meeting or your civic or community association meeting, you, you will be put to work in a valuable way. Thank you for sharing about that. 
I know these associations are actually quite unique to DC. Could you share a bit more about how this structure is different from other areas? Absolutely. So like any particularly urban area or, or quasi-urban area, we have community associations and civic associations. What is very unique to the District of Columbia when we got uh, home rule from Congress in, in 1971 is these hyper-local seats of people who represent approximately 2,000 people each called advisory neighborhood commissioners. So there are about 400 advisory neighborhood commissioners around the city. They represent their individual communities and they are grouped in advisory neighborhood commissions. So there'll be anywhere between three and say 10 advisory neighborhood commissioners who work together in, in a group. Now, those are elected officials. They're hyper-local. They are unpaid, volunteer. They have very small budgets and generally don't have staff. If they have staff, it's a part-time or shared staff person. So even for these, you don't have to run for the office to be of value. They have subcommittees and other needs and volunteer opportunities, but the role of elected advisory neighborhood commissioners is very unique to D.C. I don't know Chicago's system very well, but I think it is more akin to their alderman system than any other system of governance I, I'm aware of. Yeah, learning about these unique neighborhood commissions has been really cool. Thank you for those recommendations. My other question is about your team. They sound like a great group of people. How do you all stay up to date with local issues? And what are your expectations for your team and how they continue to build their repertoire as informed advisors? We, we stay up to date by really engaging the communities, consuming news. But we also read a, a lot of reports. And so when you're getting official reports, hearing a lot from residents and meeting with residents, going into the community to visit, and reading news, my team has a, a very you know, holistic understanding of the issues that they cover. When I interview people for my team, what I'm assessing is one, their skill set. Do they have the skill to do the thing that we need the person in this seat to do? But also, what is the reason they come to this work? Because that matters. If you are here to serve people, to make the district better, to make life better for, for people, you're going to approach your work differently than you know, if you're there for a different reason. And so to make sure we are a unified team, I, I try to make sure we have that common thread, but also have diverse backgrounds and, and experiences. I also really hammer away on ownership because when people see me as the expert or authority in anything, then they are less inclined to make recommendations, to ask the next question, to dig deeper. So I continue to remind my team all the time, you own this thing. I need you to advise me. And so if they ask me, what should I do about this? I will say, what do you recommend that I do about it? And then, you know, when you feel like you're sort of the last recommendation or the last set of eyes or set of hands on a thing, you're going to approach it differently than if you think somebody else is going to finalize the work product or the recommendation. And so I really stress ownership, but also professional growth and development, which is not attending, you know, these one, two, three day conferences or seminars, although there's a place for those, but developing your skills as a professional. One of the things I always want to know from the people on my team is where do you want to be in five years? Because that helps me to figure out where I can best 
help you develop your skills and also your network. I want everybody on my team to stay with me forever. But if they don't and they go out in the world elsewhere, I want them to be very successful. And I want them to feel like this was the best, most growth impacting place they ever worked. And that's my goal. And but something that requires ongoing second guessing, what more can we do? What can we do better? And I have to be aware that this is a very difficult space to work in. One, because legislative branch is always difficult. There's always a lot more work coming in than there is bodies to do it or time in the day. But in the District of Columbia, our entire legislative body, we have one legislative body representing 700,000 people, and there are only 13 of us. Vermont and Wyoming, as examples, have fewer people they both have large bicameral state legislatures between 90 and 180 people. They have city councils and they have county councils. We have 13 people doing the state work, the city work, the county work, and that work falls onto the staff. So if they, if they are drinking from a hose every day, I want them to feel like they are growing and that they are valued and that they're doing work that they're invested in. What a helpful comparison of Vermont and Wyoming to DC's legislator. 700K to 13 legislators. That's no joke. Well, I just have one more question and it's a fun one. Go for it. Yeah, just celebrating DC. Two questions. Where is one place that you love to think? And I know this will be tough, but just one place you like to eat in DC. Great questions. Okay, to eat. And anybody listening, you have to go there. It's called Georgina's, also called the Players Lounge. In Ward 8 on MLK Avenue, they have been there for decades. There is so much political history has happened in this space. That's fun, but they also make good food and they have a heavy pour. So if you want to not pay a lot for a good drink, it's a place to go. If you want to be in a place with history, it's a place to go. If you want some good soul food, it's a place to go. Also, one of the best jukeboxes in the city. Their music selection, in terms of my musical taste, is off the charts. So Georgina's slash Players Lounge in Ward 8, Southeast DC. My favorite place to think is Rock Creek Park. I will take a fold-up chair and walk into Rock Creek Park and spend time going through my thoughts. And most people wouldn't think it because uh, the District of Columbia is a, a city. It's entirely urban, but we have eagles, owls, foxes, snakes, turtles, frogs. There's so much wildlife there, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place, just flush with acres and acres of trees. You will never believe that you're in a city, even if you might be a stone's throw away from a road. So uh, go to Rock Creek Park and think. I won't tell you exactly where I go because there's this overlook and I sit on this big stone and it overlooks a, a little stream and I see eagles and you know, turtles and I don't want to see anybody else there. So find somewhere else in Rock Creek Park other than my spot. That's absolutely wonderful. And I think Rock Creek is just amazing. Also, I started off in the U Street Station, African-American Civil War Memorial District area. And I saw an eagle up in the sky one day on the day I was moving and it felt incredibly serendipitous. Sometimes you just have to look up to catch them. Thanks so much again, Councilmember White, and take care.
listening to the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please subscribe and check out more of Georgetown Public Policy Review at gppreview.com. Thank you.